How do you do, everyone? My name is... And this is the Bloody Disgusting Network. The succeeding show will fill you with dread. Have a good time. Listen to this. This is the tape I found downstairs. It has been a number of years since I began excavating the ruins of Kandar with a group of my colleagues. Now my wife and I have retreated to a small cabin in the solitude of these mountains. I believe I have made a significant find in the Kandarian ruins, a volume of ancient Sumerian burial practices and funerary incantations. It is entitled Naturan de Manto, roughly translated, Book of the Dead. From the gnarled woods of Michigan to the sun-kissed skyline of L.A., we are Halloweenies! You said, I hope you understand when you read this letter that you're better Welcome back to another episode of Halloweenies. I am one of your co-hosts, fake shimp, Justin Gerber. We hope that you have had a groovy time in between our first episode on Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn, and this, our concluding episode on Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn. But before we get kicking into the music, the performances, the special effects, our favorite kills, our final thoughts, before we get into all of that... We have got to go around and introduce ourselves again for the unfamiliar, the uninitiated, as it were. Let's uh, kick it on down to who we call, behind his back, of course, uh, the coastal elite of the Halloweenies. And who is that? <laughs> trying to think who was in Coastal Elites, that movie, like Bette Midler or some shit, right? Yeah. Or, uh, uh, this is Dan Conda Caffrey. Dan, welcome back to the Halloweenies. And if you want to hear more about Dan's thoughts on Evil Dead 2, hey, why aren't you subscribed to us? You should have listened to that episode earlier on. What, what's going I on? I get here? with it. And uh, who else do we have here in the, in the South Side of Chicago? Just coming off of Cheap Trick Day. Who is this? This is Mikey Joe. Where are you, girl? Vanderbilt. Welcome back to the At- podcast again. Th- th- thank you for having me. Of course, well, like, 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 this is my show, and you're all <laughs> special guests here. Speaking of special guests, though, special people, my life. Uh, last but not least. This is Wolfman Macronomicon Gerber. Uh, we live. We live still. Uh, Talking we are all back. about that character and that line in the future, but I have a question that we've got to get to first. You know what that question is? Why does she keep making those horrible noises? I don't want to die. You're not going to leave me here, are you? Are you ass? <laughs> Now, of course, we jest because that's a creepy line and it has to do with sound. But for me, the uh, the music and the sound design of The Evil Dead 2, quite an accomplishment. Dan, do you have some information about the, the score for this movie? I do. So uh, this, like the first one, uh, is, was scored by one Joseph. Is it Loduca? Is that how you guys say his name? Uh, Loduca. Loduca. Loduca, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, who, of course, did Evil Dead, would go on to do Army of Darkness. I think the trilogy was this... Uh, first foray into scoring and, and being in Hollywood. Here's what's interesting to me about this, because there actually isn't 
I want to say there's no, not a lot of music in it, but during a lot of the horror scenes are actually, a lot of them are not scored. Like a lot of the physical comedy that Ash is doing it, it would be weird if it had some, you know, spooky <laughs> score under it. But the stuff that is here, this is what's interesting to me, given where the series would go more so than the first movie. It almost sounds more like sweeping fantasy epic kind of compositions, yeah. Absolutely, which is funny because that's where he goes to obviously in army of darkness. And not only that, but after his evil dead journey, you know, he would go on to do Xena warrior princess and Hercules and Xena, young Hercules, Cleopatra. I, I've, I mean, he has some horror stuff here and there, you know, his brotherhood of the wolf, but even brotherhood of the wolf is more of a, is also a little bit of like, it's not medieval, but has kind of a swashbuckling sort of thing to it. Right. Yeah went on to do the, all those Spartacus series that were on stars later on. So, and then he did do Chucky though recently last year, but I guess my question for you all is because this to me almost feels more like a fantasy score. And I don't know if that's because he knew where the series was going, or maybe he was basing a lot of the compositions off of that brief stinger we get at the end for the next film. Am I alone here in that though? It almost doesn't feel like I like it. It just doesn't feel like a traditional horror score for me. In comparing it with evil dead, each score I feel like fits that movie perfectly. Yes. Yeah. Like the low, the kind of, you know, I don't want to say, what do I want to say? Like low fi ish recording for evil dead, like works for that movie, which is why we discussed in the other one, why that new score doesn't work. Yeah. And this one, yeah, that, that, and this has one of my favorite musical cues of all time, the Ash hero theme when he cuts oh, off. Yeah. Like God, that's, I thought that, that that's what I think really endeared me to this movie. It's funny you mention that because I, because when I was rewatching and yeah, going over observations and notes for 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 me when he like you know revs the chainsaw with his teeth and cut and yeah cuts off his hand, I re- I'm like oh that's when he becomes Ash and it, the music has to do with it. But then later on when he puts like the chainsaw on the arm and saws off the shotgun, I was like no that's when he that's... becomes Ash and the music is this yeah yeah big climactic uh, thing. But yeah, what about you, Justin? What do you do you feel like you clock the difference between the two movies and does this feel a little bit more sweeping epic fantasy? Oh, I than, think the, yeah, I, I do. I agree with you on, on that point, Dan, because I, th- I think about whenever there's a chase going on in that first movie, you've got that kind of creepy bubbling music. That's kind of brimming. Yeah, it's almost surface. like more drone like or something in the first yeah, movie. It's yeah. definitely creating a creepy mood while there's definitely action going on. It's supposed to set like this kind of creepy tone, you know, but yeah. in this one, I specifically think about when Ash is trying to leave and he can't, and he's driving back to the cabin and he's being chased by the evil dead. That's when that really adventurous music. Adventurous really is a really good over. way to put it. You know, it's, it's, it's is, not really yes. supposed That's to creep you out. It's just kind of supposed to like, this is an action scene that we're watching in this movie, not just like a, a horror chase that we would have in the first one. So yeah, totally. I definitely get what you're saying about how the music, it, it's not like it was in the first one. I think you want to talk about the tone setting. The music has a huge part to do with that, even if it is ultimately used sparingly throughout. You know? Yeah. Well, and that's a choice too, right? We get these really long drawn out sequences with, you know, Ash smashing plates against his head, the, all the physical comedy stuff with the uh, severed hand going into the mouse hole and everything. I mean, that's a choice, not because those are, you could argue are the centerpieces of the movie and we're not going to score that, or at least not score it as heavily as we would. I, I do feel like the scenes in the, that are more in the woods have like toward the end of the movie, once the other characters show up, I feel like have a little bit more music going to them. Yeah, so I mean, the omission of music is also, I I think, a strategic point. Yeah, I like what you said about adventurous because that seems to be the all-encompassing adjective for the rest of his work. He also he did American Gothic, which I know Mac has seen before, right? Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, yeah. And it would be, and also too, he's 
I don't think he did any. I'm, I'm just making sure I'm not getting anything wrong. I don't think he did any non Evil Dead stuff with Raimi later on, but he did sticker. Well, no, he did Ash versus Evil Dead, which you know I know Raimi is. Yeah, you know, he didn't like create the show or whatever else. But no, he was. Uh, but he's no, a creative he part of that. He directed the first episode. Yeah. Oh, he developed it. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. See, um, but so either so he came back for that, but then he also stuck with Bruce Campbell a lot with the Man on the Screen Brain, which I'm not a huge fan of that movie. I don't know if you guys have seen that. I've still Fleager, never seen it. Fleager and I. Um, it's been Halloweenies is on the Losers Club. We went to see a screening of it at the Tampa Theater that Bruce Campbell is at and speaking at. And it was one of those things where the talk back and the book signing was like more exciting than the actual movie I, itself. I, I think we've all been to those, you know. Yeah, but he, he did that and he did he did the uh, my name is Bruce. And so he actually stuck with he's I feel like he's almost stuck with Bruce Campbell and worked with him a little bit more than Sam Raimi, although he did come back for Ash versus Evil Dead. But uh yeah, Mac, what are your feelings on on Mr. Laduca's work in this? No, I agree. It's funny because I there are music cues in this that I really stand out to me and I always remember. Like when he is saying, you know, give me back my hand and there's that camera kind of pans out from the back of the cabin and mm. the music cue comes in. Yeah. Um, just that, that little swell of music when he wakes up in the pond and then the camera spirals yeah, out. Yeah, he has a lot of little yeah. sting moments really like that. good yeah. stinger moments in the movie that I think really stuck with me and and then yeah i love the music at the end uh that Vanderbilt mentioned and and yeah it definitely has that fantasy feel but i think i think it is the we know where it's going while i was also i don't know it's 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 kind of like even with the for the first film i feel like it, it's almost like it doesn't it doesn't shouldn't be there but it works yes um, yeah, it in is a, in a way, and like you said, I think that's the restraint of it. You know, if it was if it was constantly scored under everything, it would be too much. But I think it's used pretty pretty well. Well, think about it. there's so many sound effects in this movie. You don't need it. You know, you've <laughs> yeah, got like the things, you got glasses stuff, yeah. breaking, you got shotguns going off, chainsaws, people screaming. You don't necessarily always need the music because there's so much sound well, there to it, begin with. You know, I have a question about so the piece of music that's that. Yeah, Ash plays in the beginning on the piano. Yeah. I was curious why they never really went back to Ash being a pianist. <laughs> I was curious. I had the same note here. Ash yeah. is a great piano player. Like how funny would that be? He can't, I was wondering if they did that. I can't remember if they'd ever referenced that in the series. Because that is Bruce Campbell just playing, I'm guessing. I'm assuming he knows how to play piano. There's no way he's really playing. I don't think so. Because I wondered if it was a thing of, oh, Bruce plays piano. That's a fun little... Yeah, hey, speaking no, of I improv, think that you only see you see his his face kind of moving along to it. There's no way he's really playing that. Yeah, that's a good. It, I love that piano. That's a recurring theme in the movie too. I like that piano playing. It is kind of funny that you know I know the the beginning of the movie is really dedicated to catching us up on what or sort of catching us up on what happened in the first movie. It is funny. Be, I think because Bruce Campbell goes so you know over the top in a great way throughout the movie. I like how even in his just like regular romantic life, they take like just a little bit to establish. He's kind of a good, like I heard the champagne thing and hey, the complaint, hey, yeah, yeah. you know, which seems pretty close to yeah his, uh, his, his real life persona too. Yeah. And you mentioned the sound effects too. I almost, yeah, the, that almost stands out even more for me. I mean, I always think of, it was funny, like watching the movie and seeing the, you know, seeing the hand get cut off and hearing like the, the squeaky effects as the hand is like going away. And in my head, I went, I forgot that I forgot that it actually goes in a mouse hole. I'm like, oh yeah, it's like the hands of mouse. That's like a funny gag. And it actually goes into a mouse hole and has like I know, the trap so and everything. I, I, they just take it so far and make it well, so literal. The, really the, I love how it's it's in it's it's it crawls through through the mouse hole. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's right next to the trap. So it clearly <laughs> sees the trap, yet somehow still manages to get its hand caught in the trap. 
it has yeah i don't know who i'm sure it's just like uh, ted Raimi or someone doing these little sound effects with it but uh yeah it, it, it has that card it's funny too because like mac was saying it still does feel strategic like we said comedy is hard both with the music and with the visuals and i think a lesser movie we mentioned meet the feebles right which i like but yeah meet the feebles has no off switch it's just it's just thrown at you the whole time and this like the movie moves and there's kind of always visually and sonically interesting things going on, but they're like, they're coming at you like bink, bink. Like they, you know, they, mm. I don't know. There's just, there's such a, a tight grip on everything in it, including the score. So yeah, just, it all feels like super strategic to me. I just read a little interview where he talked about doing those old spice ads where he's playing the piano and singing. And he said, they called him and they said, can you play piano and sing? And he said, no and no <laughs> so it wasn't i don't think it was him playing. <laughs> it wasn't him. Yeah, no, no. i love that they like actually asked for it that's awesome also too i he went laduca went to university of michigan so i'm guessing he met i mean I'm guessing the michigan connection well, i think he right, went to michigan it. state university he did oh, like I the rest of at, them or, wait, did, were they or maybe he went to a different college maybe he went I think, to a different oh college. yeah i just assume maybe or maybe they just made each other in michigan yeah it says here university of michigan then wayne state after that uh, which is maybe he went in to detroit so maybe it was just uh yeah, maybe maybe it was just that that Michigan connection. Well, since um, Michigan State came up, and I don't know where else we can put this, when Linda's dancing in the beginning, she's wearing that Michigan State shirt. Yeah. According to the commentary, they had two shirts. They had a looser one and one that was basically vacuum formed, and it was Rob Tapert. It was like, yeah, that's the choice is easy, right, guys? A lot is coming <laughs> out about pervy. Rob Tapert over the last couple episodes, and there's I've got some more info on Rob Tapert Ooh. to discuss as we go on as well. Trust me. Uh, yeah, but yeah, like you said, Dan, everybody here, I think it's it's a, it's a really fun, energetic score. Yeah, that definitely separates itself from just being a redundant and, piece of music, you know. And I will say, I feel like the common theme in, in, in any film franchise or series when the movie changes, when the series changes, I feel like it's usually more common to get someone different to do the score. And th- like, I mean, we even talked about that with a lot of the Friday Thirteenth movies. I feel like so, a lot of the times it's okay we're going to go in this direction. We're going to get this person. They're going to work with the motif from the last film, but do their own thing with it. Mm. It's pretty impressive that he did all three of these. And I yeah, we'll see once we get to army of darkness, but was able just to pivot himself without having to bring in like, I don't know who's known for doing sword and sorcery scores. Well, there is, there is an addition to Joe LaDuca for army of darkness. Who we'll talk about in an episode. He's not the only person that composed music for that movie, but uh, oh. it's a teaser for everybody. Oh, so, let, let, stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also want to just throw out the the opening credits music that kicks in the dun 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 dun, dun you know oh, like yeah. the, that's I love that when that <laughs> kicks in and the, you see the logo and the, it starts to pivot and the two like you know this is like this is so silly that theme and then later on we hear we hear like I can't remember what scene it is but there's like a da 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 like like it's this little piano like staircase up and down thing <laughs> it reminded me of the fugitive and for a hot second i had to look up to make sure james newton howard i'm like oh he did dude, he evil dead too uh of course he didn't so but it, it, i think anytime you hear a piano doing like a yeah that just always reminds me of that so yeah um yeah anything anyone else wants to say about uh score or sound you know, I, was, I was listening really closely because i was thinking maybe there's a chance that an actual i mean aside from hush little baby there's no actual songs in this movie that i know yeah out, right? yeah nothing playing sorry dino was like well, i can't do any rights to anything else he's, he's like what's that lullaby song that's yeah. free right let's do that speaking of the sound and sound design it that the work shed line that that is a dub right <laughs> he does not Absolutely. say that there and that's oh yeah i think <laughs> yeah. so <laughs> love it 
Well, speaking of the person who said work shed, I think it's time to move on to our next category. And it's a category that could only be called Hail to the King, baby. Sure, I could have stayed in the past. Could have even been king. But in my own way, I am king. Justin, I gotta slip this in right now. Yeah. Have you ever heard a story about Workshed and uh, Kurt Russell? Yeah, we'll talk. Yeah, talk about it now. Uh, with, okay. Before we talk about, uh, let's talk about Vanderbilt. Go ahead. Before we get into the performance by Bruce Campbell and Ash, as Ash Williams, of course, as he always is. Uh, Vanderbilt, please regale that story about Bruce Campbell on the set of Escape from L.A. <laughs> and yeah, he's on a set of Escape from L.A. and Kurt Russell just chides him, "Hey, say work shed. Come on, say work shed." <laughs> of course, work shed is that really weird moment in this movie where he's struggling, and it's obviously been looped or ADR. It's like it the is. worst I, ADR ever. Yeah. And he says work shed. It's very funny, and I love how Kurt Russell even recalled that ten years later in meeting him. Like the fact that very Kurt funny. Russell paid that much attention to Evil Dead too. Oh, I could it's see just Kurt funny. him and so him and Goldie Hawn sitting at home like watching Evil Dead too. Well, it's funny because Kurt Russell. I mean, I feel like anytime he's on a commentary or interview, he always has oh, fun so stories good. like that. And then even in the, uh, I think all y'all read it, the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood novelization, Quentin Tarantino thanks all these people, you know, Burt Reynolds, whoever, for telling him stories of, fun stories of old Hollywood or whatever. And he actually says, especially Kurt Russell. I think Kurt Russell just like, hey, oh, sure. he, he remembers and creates the stories, I, I think, on set. Well, especially for Kurt Russell, he was, you know, he grew up on the sets. Yeah, because he was like a young kid Disney kid. The 70s, so. the 70s Disney kid back in the day. But Oh, man. Let's we got to talk about Bruce Campbell in this movie, and you want to talk about how the music is different from Evil Dead Two compared to Evil Dead. I mean, Bruce is terrific in the first movie, but this is really like a showcase for Bruce Campbell. And they pretty much said in making it that they wanted to make this like the Bruce Campbell ninety minute, the, the Bruce Campbell experience. Got him out of them wallabies and into some work boots. <laughs> yeah, well, made all the difference in the world. He, Worked out he, a little bit. He immediately is just like way more confident. Way more, you know what I mean? Like very different from the Ash from the first film. Yeah. Just right out the gate. And I, I think that works for this film because of where he has to go. Because I don't know if you, if he's Ash from the first film and then he's strapping into the, <laughs> the, the chainsaw. So I don't know if it would be like, wow, that's no. a real turn in, in, in courageousness, you know, like, right. You know, but like, I do feel like it works for this well, movie to get it, him to already get him there where he's a little bit more brave, I guess. It's so it's funny. chiseled in this. Hmm. It's funny because in the first movie, it's almost like stuff's just happening to him and he's reacting where in this, he feels like in control of his own destiny. It's almost like the ash of this movie has watched the first movie. No, he obviously <laughs> hasn't. Point. And I think that's where he got think, the idea to bring the girl to the cabin. Yeah, 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 yeah. If he did, that was really st- stupid, right? That's the but, that was but, a real question. And I who knows, because you know, it's you'd have to talk to Bruce Campbell about what his method was or whatever. I wonder if because of the physical comedy in this, especially in the hand scene, which is yeah, I mean, for me, like Oscar level performance, so good. Oh. Like having to separate the hand from what he's doing. I almost wonder if because he has to have such control in that scene, not only physically, but like vocally and just yeah, honestly, even emotionally, he's an actor, whatever you're going through through that. I feel like because he's doing so much there, I mean, so much more is required of him than the first movie. 
I wonder if that had that just gave him some confidence, or maybe it was just the fact that it had been what five, probably even six years from when they filmed the first well, one, and he's just grown as an actor. Yeah, I wonder like what the what the change in what the cause was for that change in arc. I think there's a confidence that comes from you know just having been on having done some more work and worked in front of the camera more. Yeah, like because you can tell immediately in Crime Wave, way more comfortable, really good, like really putting on a performance and really funny. So I just think, you know, you have that experience now and again, and come on, you're working with your friends again. You know what I mean? It's like, I just feel like there's a, there's a confidence there that I think, and a comfortability there. I think also if he doesn't have the confidence in this, then he knows this could be his last chance. Well, he, and he was a producer too, right? Yeah. And it's been, and it's been seven, eight years since the first one. You only get so many chances to kind of break through. And I feel like you have to have that confidence to, to, to have it go out. And as we all know over the years, Bruce Campbell definitely has a lot of confidence. So that's, that's, that's never yeah. been the issue with it. You guys, you know, it's been nicer lately. And in Wisconsin, you never quite know when winter is going to be in, but it's been nice for like four days in a row. And I'm like, if sunnier days are coming, it's time to fuel up. And so I'm going back to my factor meals that no prep, no mess. I want to hit my weight goals before it's time to hit that beach. You've got options like calorie smart, protein plus, keto, Factor has these fresh, never frozen meals, dietitian approved guys. And here's the big thing for me, keeping out of the kitchen as much as possible, two minutes and these meals are ready. So it doesn't matter how busy you are. You've always got time. So treat yourself. They have 35 different meals to pick from 60 add-ons to choose every week. You're always going to have new stuff to try. Have it whenever you want. It's effortless guys. So if you'd like to try it yourself, head to factormeals.com slash badmovies50 and use code badmovies50 to get 50% off your first box. Plus, 20% 20% off your next month. That's code badmovies50 at factormeals.com slash badmovies50 to get 50% off of your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And so, yeah. When, and but it, you and, mentioned the scene, Dan, in, in the in the kitchen, oh, and especially so good, when he gets so his, everything with the hand possession. Even watching it now, you you really do convince yourself, by way of Bruce Campbell, that his hand is is possessed and is taking over his body and is not is acting independently of Bruce Campbell. And like, always oh, is it a prosthetic? Know? Did they build an animatronic or something? <laughs> That's what it's it just like it's it's great. I mean, even just like the minor stuff, which you think when you think about like. You're like, okay, this would be pretty easy to do when he's unconscious, but the hand's still like moving around <laughs> rapidly. Great. The rest of his body is slack. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's not, he's like, his, his eyes are moving around. He is slack. And just the little, the little bits there, it's just, it's, it's legitimate, when, really great, not just great genre acting or great genre. That's no, great acting. It's a great acting. Well, think of, think of what he, so the first movie, obviously, he still gets put through the ringer, right? And you see him with his friends. Oh, sure. So you, you, you see him with his, but it's kind of two modes. You see him with his friends, then the shit starts happening and then he has to get out of it, right? And this, you see him being goofy with his girlfriend. You see him actually get possessed and do the whole evil ash thing for just a little bit. You see, then you see that leave him. You see him go from panic to fear, to still grieving over her, to kind of maniacally getting off on cutting off his own hand. To, I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, you, and that's all in just like the first 30 minutes. I mean, you see him just go on this roller coaster of emotions throughout, you know? And then also too, I, I, I just think, I mean, I said before, I think when people think about 
the Ash character. It's not Evil Dead 1. It's it's born here. And we see some more physical transformation too. First it's the hand cut off. Then it's the chainsaw. Then it's the shotgun. Then it's his hair going white. I mean, it's all, I mean, I feel, I feel like you see him metamorphosizing this. Yeah, Mac, what were you going to say? Yeah, no, I was just going to say, I mean, this movie doesn't walk the comedy horror line unless he does it perfectly. And he does. Because those moments where there's really, really good moments where they're genuinely creepy in this, as well as he can be funny, like the when Linda's head falls off in front of him and he's just screaming and freaking out in the chair for a minute. Like mm. it's funny, but you also kind of buy it <laughs> that he's that disturbed. And then just touching the chair and it stops and he's like genuinely creeped out. I don't know. There's just, there's just moments where I feel like he, he walks that line just as well. Otherwise, or, or, or even in the scene, my favorite scene when the whole cabin's laughing and he's laughing along with them, but it yeah. ends in him screaming. And all of a sudden you're not laughing anymore. And you're kind of like, like he is just losing it, you know. Like it's so, it's so good. It's it's great stuff, Amber. What about how, how do you feel about Bruce in this movie? As I'm well? just impressed with how chiseled he is in this. He's ripped. Yeah, he's ready to like, go. My God, uh, I think it was um, whoever plays Annie. I cannot remember. Sarah Barry said yeah. that he was on a Spartan diet, uh, and he stuck to it, and he pumped iron every day. And like you can see it in his face, even yeah, he's like like he's cut from granite. Like, and it's just wild because it's a low budget movie. But I mean, he's really trying to make his way in Hollywood, and that's something I always kind of remark when you look at you know famous people. It's their job to stay in shape and look right. Yeah, but like yeah. Bruce Campbell's still working nights as a security guard at this point, but he's taking it seriously, and it pays off. And it was because they knew they're like, we want you to be turned into a shirtless, you know, Frank Vizetta. Style hero. One yeah. and it's funny too because you know his uh what's his memoir called? Like if chins could kill confessions yeah, yeah, of a B movie yeah. actor. I almost feel like the chin is not as pronounced in the first because Vanderbilt's no. like his face. Yeah, he gets oh, rounded off. Like you know? the, he's got like yeah, that yeah, comic book drawing. And this is like he's he's fucking hot in this I mean, movie. do you think like, too he was because Justin talked about okay, this is maybe maybe my last chance to break through. Do you think too he had in his mind, okay, not only break through, but I want to break through as this like genre action star. And to do that, I I do want to look a certain way and I do want to get my physique into a certain way. Like, do you think he was not just thinking of, oh, I want to do this for the movie, but like I want to do this for me as as part of my branding or whatever you want to oh, call it? I think so because it's you know, it's Hollywood. You gotta yeah. you gotta be in shape. I mean, I mean the history goes moly. on. We'll talk about probably closer to the Army of Darkness, but he was runner up for a lot of major movies over the next 10 years. Yeah. It just didn't quite happen for him. Right, Mac? Yeah, yeah no, totally. I was just going to say, I mean, look at the, look at the artwork for Army of Darkness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He is like, like, really <laughs> he's like E-Man, you know? That's some good art right there too. I mean, but great I also performance. love the, uh, yeah. it's a great performance. It's granted. He's definitely becoming more of the, like the stereotypical over the top action hero, but there's some, the, the comedy when Henrietta bursts through the, the cellar, <laughs> And the scream he gives off is extremely funny. It's very high pitched. It's played for laughs. And it, it, you know, it's not supposed to be. It's not supposed to be terrifying for us once he screams. It's kind of letting us know that this is not Evil Dead. This is more of a fun comedy experience we're supposed to be having here. I mean, there's just so many lines that he has in this movie, right? I mean, my I don't favorite, even know where to begin. Well, my favorite like sequence slash lines that really is like this is where we're going in the army of darkness is when Annie tries to kill him the sec for the second time with the mm. ax. And he's like, do you hear what I'm saying? Are you listening? <laughs> like, oh, it's yeah. very, very, <laughs> you see more, way more of that in the next movie, but it's kind of, you start to see him get 
like this is the Ash character. <laughs> like this is where we're going with it. Well, there's also two moments where you have to kind of give this expositiony, foreshadowy dialogue, but you have to play it for laughs in a way. So there's like this weird sound bite that happens in a movie, and somebody says, "What the hell is that?" And Ash goes, "Maybe something." Trying to force its oh, yeah, way into yeah, yeah. our world. Like, what? <laughs> Why would you assume that that is what's, what's happening? Or, you know what I mean? What, what happened? It's like somebody just walked over my grave. Oh, that, and, then, and then it's that picture. Who is that? It's obviously him. <laughs> it's like no question it's him in the picture. Just stuff oh, like, like that. that. It's, I, it's a funny bit. There's a lot of dialogue in this movie that's explaining what's going on. Like, I love I like that scene at the end when everything, you know, the trees are coming down the house and Annie has to, like, explain what she needs to do. And he's like, just do it. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. It's just like, so just funny. It. There's a lot of pages. that, like explaining what's going on, which I think lends itself to the comedy. Though, you know, Dan, you teased it earlier on with the, the big hero setup, getting the, 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 mach- the uh, chainsaw attached to the hand where the hand was and the sawed off shotgun. Is there a more iconic word, just <laughs> word in a horror movie in like the last 50, 40 years in groovy in terms of like ho- for horror fandom and it's it's tough because you say groovy you know it's evil dead evil dies tonight <laughs> evil dies tonight it took three words for that to become iconic i i completely agree and no and and once again i don't know if they knew this or if they were just going for it because they knew this was their last shot but you get the idea the way they film it that they knew there was an icon in the making right here. And mm. once again, I don't know. Well, I don't know. It, Dan, I don't, in a lesser yeah. movie, that groovy doesn't work. That yeah, exactly. groovy yeah. undercuts you know what that, that scene because that seems so cool. It becomes get him cuz from Texas Chainsaw 3. Yeah. Get him cuz. You know, where it's like ironically good. But like, <laughs> just thinking about that, like, how does Sam, like, just Sam Raimi at work, who comes up with the idea of cutting off a hand and then replacing it with a chainsaw in a low budget? That's what I'm saying. I, in a low budget horror picture. And nothing in the first movie telegraphed that that's going to happen. No. Because the, yeah, the, the right. chainsaw is in, I think we well, said, 30 seconds it of It turns him movie. into like a comic book hero. Like he's he got is. like an origin story and a costume. Ah, Here, just, here's, here's something I wonder, and I, I have nothing to back this up, but you know, we've talked a lot on this episode about how even after the success of Evil Dead, they weren't where they wanted to be. I might be getting the names wrong. I think they were all still living in a house with the Coens, Francis McDormand, Kathy Bates, also Kathy Bates. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Kathy Bates, also someone who didn't, you know, get really big like she should have until later. So, and, and I know they were like writing the script in this house, and it was taking a while because all of us have lived in houses with a, a bunch of people. You know, it can be hard to oh, get yeah. work done. So, I almost wonder if you're like writing in these spurts and you're on all these other creative people. Now, granted, the people in that house. We're not known for being like crazy celebrities or anything. All, they all seem like very reasonable. Yeah, the Coens are always going to Studio 54. Yeah, like, I mean, you know, they, 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 all, they all seem like reasonable people. But there's, it's still this idea of being in one place with a lot of creative folks and having to write at certain times. I almost just wonder if that kind of anarchic energy informed it a little bit. If there if, if there was just like, hey, let's try this. Why not? I, once again, I have no. There was no quotes or interviews to back that up. That was just something I wondered when I read about the the actual writing of the movie. I, I wanted to ask. Aside from Chris Sarandon and Child's Play, like were there other other franchises that really built like an iconic hero, like they do in this film? And I'm Chris joking Sarandon about Child's, Child's Play. Play. I'm joking about Child's Play. Uh, but I was thinking <laughs> of like I was thinking of yeah. 
you know, Fantasm, Alice has that moment in um, oh yeah in Nightmare Four where she's like getting all the powers of all of the people that have passed. One another favorite souls, sequence, you know, and like and that is really cue. that is a cool moment. And I I feel like are there other horror franchises that have like where you're rooting just as much for the hero and really love the hero as much as you love like Pinhead? You know, what oh, I, mean? I think like, there's a couple instances, but this is the only one where because you can you can see a good Elm Street Friday. You can see a good Elm Street without Nancy. You can see a good Friday without Tommy. You know, but it's hard for me to get my head around an Evil Dead movie without the hero, as opposed to an Evil Dead movie without the villain. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah you can't I really say you. that about a bunch you. of other franchises that we've covered. I right. uh, I'm hard pressed to think of something because is I, Billy I like the puppet a hero? <laughs> the Billy. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you right now. I miss Billy in, in no, Spiral. No, he's not a hero, that. but I, I, in Spiral, I was really missing Billy. And I was I, like, I was if, if Billy, yeah. Billy needed to be in this a lot more than just a picture on the wall. I like the little pig puppet. He was kind of fun. What's his <laughs> name again? Like Mr. Piggy or some shit? In, 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 in um, Somebody look that up. I, Somebody look that up. Piggy pie. I was calling the, the pig head uh, Piggy Saw in the piggy original saw. films, and, and I thought they were going to call the pig puppet Piggy Saw, but it's just a pig marionette. I Mr. Love that Snuggles. Com- I love piggy that Saw Ridge. Mr. Snuggles is the name. That comparison between the Ash character and the Alice character. And I think what's so great about those two movies is, and what makes it inspired is that, and it goes back to like Rennie Harlan and Sam Raimi not wanting to make horror movies. They're mm-hmm. not thinking like making horror movies. They're thinking of like making action movies. Yeah. Like those, those are inspired. Those two sequences are both inspired by either Rambo and uh, Roger Ebert said taxi driver. Taxi driver. But it makes sense. It's kind of like him cutting, like uh, doing the uh, oh, the like the, when he's getting oh, ready to the gun yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 that's, yeah. True. that's true. That's a good point. Oh my god! Mm. Well, inspired. I just love that moment. That's one of my favorite moments in 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 movies. I think that just I knew I was. I remember watching it when I was twelve and seeing that. And said this is the movie that I've always wanted to see. What's well, funny? And then you have a, say... the fight with Henrietta. Is like that's out of an action movie. As well, especially there's that one shot where he swings the chainsaw and cuts the head off, and it goes into slow motion, which is yep. you never see slow motion in a Sam Raimi movie. So you remember that shot, yeah. and you see the blood spray, and then he delivers the quippy one-liner right as he blows up the head. It's just, it's hard to explain. But here's the great thing about this this character and, and this movie, is that if you went up to, like, I don't know, my dad and said Freddy Krueger... He'd know Elm Street or Jason. He'd know Friday the 13th. But my dad, if you went up to my dad and said, Ash, he would not know Evil Dead. So I feel like this is still a character who belongs to the real horror heads. It has not really been mainstreamed at all. They've tried to. They've tried to, but I don't think they have. I would disagree just because I feel like when I'll talk, I have this kind of something about this in my final thoughts, just about how when I saw this when I was 12, I thought this movie was cultish. And it is. It is cultish. But then, like, I'd be watching, I was, I talked about it in a group text, uh, that episode of Martin, where someone on that staff took the Kandarian chant and put it into a, a Halloween episode. And I'm sitting there I, watching I that. I think the Kandarian chant, though, is it? Oh, no, no, I'm thinking about Klaatu, Baratu, Niktu, yeah. which is from Day, that's from Day the Earth Stood Still. It is. Yeah. Or, like, I'm watching an episode of Animaniacs, and I see the box art for Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 in a, in a sequence, now, in a, yeah, but I still yeah, think Ash has crossed over in a way it. that other famous horror characters have crossed over into the mainstream. Like, I like think 
in terms of well-known pop culture, like my dad's not watching Animaniacs. You know, what I mean, I, I get that, but like, <laughs> but even even the people watching it aren't. They're not going to know that that's from that. That's Ash from you. You know what I mean? Like, I think the people writing that stuff were heavily influenced. And yes, you see it pop up a lot in pop culture because the people that are writing these things have been influenced by it. But I don't know if the viewers as much are making the connection that that's from evil dead or that's supposed to be Ash from evil dead. Uh, although at this point there's so much of it out there. I mean, you've got a musical, you got it. I mean, like it's still amazing to me when people don't know that that is from evil dead. You know, when I meet the straights, like they all saw, most of them just saw army of darkness first and then went backwards yeah. from then. Like, yeah. you know, at the real it's only new was Army of yeah. Darkness when that was being marketed with well, the groovy line and everything. So when I saw Evil Dead 2 and he says groovy, I thought, oh, I know this line. Yeah. And I, tur- I, I turned my parents on to it, too. My dad would know Ash. <laughs> his, review yeah, of yeah. E- his review of the new yeah. Evil Dead was, ah, there's no Ash. Ah. Yeah, it's a tough beat. Tough beat. Yeah, when I think about the advertising for Army of Darkness, you know, it was on the back of all these Marvel comic books. Yeah, it didn't have Evil Dead 3. It didn't have anything with it. Yeah, so it was, and it was almost like, I knew from that poster tonally what was that what that was going to be, you know, without knowing that it came from Evil Dead Two, like that, yeah, that transformation. I feel like Friday Thirteenth had big box office hits, and so did Elm Street, and so did Halloween for that matter. But none of these movies were like box office hits. They all had to kind of develop over time, find their audience. You know what I mean? And I feel like that's why yeah. it still kind of belongs to the horror scene compared to the other movies that have been, you know, yeah, oh, yeah. retconned a million times. You know what I mean? Uh, look, what can I say? Love Ash. Can't wait to talk about him even more. As we go on, inevitably, we will still talk about Ash throughout this episode, but looking forward to the Army of Darkness episode, especially, because he uh, does some other incredible guys, stuff. Guys, would there. you say this is the coolest Ash ever was? Yeah. I would say I, you know, so. I would say this is the coolest he ever was, but I think the funniest he ever was was Army of Darkness. I like that. Yeah. He still yeah. had street cred here. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's why. Although, you know, I I still haven't watched... watched um, Ash versus Evil Dead as a series, not, so I can't comment on that. He's not cool in it. Which is, he's, not, he's definitely not cool in it. They lean yeah. into him being kind of like this... Like old washed up. Loser, yeah. but in a, yeah. in a very funny way. I, I do like the depiction. I think it's funny because he, he does definitely... And that's why we have this category, because he does really change a lot through all the movies and the show. Yeah, uh, we'll talk about all that in the future dynamic. months, though, for sure. Yeah. yeah, But before we do that, it's time to take a trip and uh, find ourselves within the woods. Cheryl, what's the matter with you? Did something in the woods do this to you? No, it was the woods themselves. They're alive, Ashley. The trees. They're alive. Ash, why don't I take her in the back? So we specifically talk about not the deadites themselves, because that's going to be our next category. But for instance, we'll talk about the new voice of the evil dead in this movie, because in the first movie, it was Sam Raimi doing all the, the join us and whatnot that was going on in that movie. And this one, however... And a dramatic pause coming up. The voice of the evil dead was William Preston Robertson. Now, William Preston Robertson has done a lot of literal voice work. You don't really see him a lot. But and this is not the first time or, nor the last time we'll mention the Coen brothers. But he, was, he did voice work for Barton Fink, Miller's Crossing, Raising Arizona, Blood Simple, Big Lebowski, Fargo. Cohen a guy. lot of time he's like the guy on the phone and stuff like that. He'll just a, a background voice a lot of the time. And he's got a memorable voice. What can I say? I mean, the join us stuff is still, I, when I think of the join us stuff, I think about evil dead Two. I don't really think about it being said even in the first one. Cause that's mostly by the, the deadites themselves. Right. Am I right? Dan um, or Mako. 
Uh, good I hear a lot in the first one, but I think the reason I remember it so much in this one is because it's paired with the cabin eyes. Yep. Yeah. That's eyes a that cool kind of effect. Like come out, which I feel like would not work if they continued to go back and show that more, but it's just shown that once. And when he looks mm-hmm. back again, it's gone. Yeah. And I, that really worked for me in this. Yeah. It's a good sound. I mean, there's not a lot to talk about with this particular category. I guess you know we could mention. Well, here, no, that we've got we've got a good bit of stuff. We kind of already. Well, do we want to mention that in the special effects section, or do we want to talk about that here? No, because we don't. We're not necessarily talking about the effects of it, but just the the different. I will. Yeah. Are you well here? You go ahead. Yeah, I've I've a I've a thought. I'm waiting on for that. Mac. I'm waiting to see what yeah. you what you want to say. Mac. Yeah. Out. Okay. Well, then I want to ask these questions, and I'll go through the other things. Yeah. Good. When Ash is running through the house. Okay. He's clearly looking at something. What do you think he sees? Because the, the the evil is not made flesh yet. I've always That's wondered that too. Question. I, I had not thought about that. Like, is it like a kind of like a predator situation where you see he, something's there? Think but he's I think it's there? a fog. It's probably Michael Shannon. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Michael Shannon. Please come to our patreon.com backslash Halloweenies pod. We've got a great Michael Shannon <laughs> playing the fog. For our commentary on 1980s, The Fog. Do, do you think maybe, I, I think what you just said, Mac, about the Predator thing, may, maybe it's like he's sensing it, you know? Like maybe he's he's sensing that, that there's a force there, but he's not maybe yeah. able, it's not materializing visually into anything. That's That would be my best guess, because I don't think he's seeing it in the way that, I'm trying to think when, when it, it possesses Linda, does she see it? I'm trying to remember. He's being chased. She knows she's being chased. Yeah. So yeah, maybe that that's the best I can come up with is that it's I mean even like, when it breaks through the window in the first one, Shelly sees something coming at her, you know? I yeah. mean it's it's tough. And like you and said, I will say for though, years before I really started picking up on the evil made flesh, I thought that the thing that burst through the door is what had been chasing them right. throughout the movies. I didn't realize that that's the first time even they see it. Yeah. Even though obviously it right. is because oh, that's why Ash's yeah. hair goes white. But uh, looking right. back now, it's obvious. Or maybe it's like a you can only see it once it's chasing you. Like it's sort of in it follows kind of thing a little bit. I don't know, but uh, yeah. Maybe it's a studio head from NBC Pictures who screwed Sam <laughs> Raimi over on Crime Wave and they were kind of like using that energy. <laughs> the, card, the, the cam had a big like cardboard cut out of his face on top of it. <laughs> final cut, final cut. <laughs> yeah. The next uh, creature within the woods, I'd say, and it's not a particular dead eye, but I think is Ash's hand. And I think that that yeah. is easily one of the best creatures uh, in all, the awesome. Evil Dead universe, you know what I mean? It's got this so much personality. You know, this reminds me of Mac. This reminds me of how Scotty dies in Evil Dead. We don't see his body for 30 minutes. So when he sits up at the end, it is we're not expecting it. So I'll say this, hold on. I'll say this about the hand. The hand is throughout the first 35 40 minutes of that movie. It's it's constantly either it's attached to Ash or it's harassing him. But then you really only see it two more times in the last half. It's mm-hmm. that great Bobby Joe scare where it's gripping her hand. And then you don't see it again until it kills Annie at the very end. I think that's a really great way of... Because they could have really done like a mini-me thing there and really just done an overkill with that hand. But they knew well, when to pull back. They knew when to pull back. They did have the hand in a lot more. It got cut and ideas that ended up you know, not making it to the screen. But they wanted the hand to... I think the hand shows up again when he's fighting evil ed you think a hand grabs ash's throat and you think it's evil ed but when it and it's like lifting him up in the air mm. and then it pans back into the hand oh there was uh, the idea for 
Sam Raimi wanted a giant hand to be constructed to be knocking at the door at one point, yeah. and they were just like, "This is too. That's too." They they, cro- they 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 drew the line there apparently. But I was like, "Oh man, I would have loved that." But apparently, yeah, it was in some more sequences, but they ended up cutting it. And I think it's great because what you said, Justin, when it shows up again, you really do forget about it. Yeah. But when it stabs Annie, it's really a big. You're like, "Oh man, yeah, the hands there." Jeez. Yeah, I love that creature. And then my favorite scene is when the cabin's possessed and you've got the deer head yeah. laughing. And that is, favorite, that's man. just something I always think of is that creepy dead deer head <laughs> laughing maniacally. And that is so good in that sequence. It's yeah, so Vanderbilt, unnerving. You alluded to it earlier when he's, he's mirroring the lamp going up oh, and down and then they so both funny. stop and then they both laugh at the same time. It's uh, great chaos, great chaotic energy. Yeah. sequence for sure. Like this, it's, it's the idea of this being a funhouse movie, like personified that whole segment. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's literally like a madcap adventure. <laughs> mad, he's going literally, he's going mad in that in that sequence. So, I believe there was also a cut scene where there was a dead-eyed squirrel attack <laughs> that never made oh, it to the I screen. S- the, the That's this footage I've seen on it. YouTube. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It happens when he goes out to the woods, I believe. But yeah, it's pretty funny. Yeah, it's like there's a there's a lot of deleted scenes, especially with mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when Ed gets killed. I think on the back of one of the video boxes, you see Ed lying on the ground with half of his head gone, or maybe that was in something else I'd read. But that scene was actually shot. It's on YouTube. You can see like the the rough footage of all that stuff going on. Yeah, it's pretty pretty cool stuff. And then the last, obviously, is the that I made flesh, which apparently they dubbed the Ba Tree. Uh, that comes in through the front door, which I, I actually uh, got to see, <laughs> or well, something a part of it at the um, Mystic Museum in L.A. They've got a giant, the giant battery in their shop. Is it actually is it a replica or is it the actual one, Mac? No. You know, I, I mean, I'm not sure, but they had do- just done in February a big exhibit where they were, um, they had a lot of the original props and stuff like that. And then they were able to keep some of the props that were independently owned. So it's possible it might've mm. been, but I do feel like it, it feels smaller, but maybe that's the movie magic, you know? The movie magic. I like that. There you go. I was, yeah. I was going to say with the trees, I, I had forgotten about this shot, but there's the, the main tree that comes in, but then they show that outside view of the house where there's like three or four huge trees just like coming down on it. Like oh, that's that to right. me. Yeah, the trees. You know what's yeah. something? That's another good example of watching it on old VHS tapes. It was kind of hard to make out that yeah. those trees were actually animated like that. And then you watch it now, you can see that they're oh, clearly it's freaky. faces. And, and I yeah. like that they still kind of look, they still look and move kind of like trees. It's almost, yeah, just this kind of gigantic yeah. monolithic thing. Like that for me is the creepiest woods element of the movie. Well, in fact, that's where Treebeard first appears from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah, it's getting First it. appears. like, like after. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a, just an easy shot, but when the smoke goes back into the trees, yeah, when they do that yeah. reverse photography, that's cool. Or, or just the the tree attack on, on Bobby Joe is so much more gruesome, and you've got that Nightmare Five. Well, this precedes Nightmare Five, but the the when it goes into her skin and her face, that's so good. That's that's grotesque. That's 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 probably the intent of that first movie that they could have done, but they uh, <laughs> yeah yeah just didn't have the time and with, with other uh, strategies in that regard. So yeah, look, there's some great creatures in this one's in addition to the the Deadites, but let's get down. The true knights and deadites. One by one, we will take you. Ah! 
All right, so yeah, for this movie, we've got pretty much a brand new cast of uh, of characters. Let's start off with Annie Noby, played by Sarah Barry. I love a lot of notes here to be to be honest with you, but she is supposed to be the daughter of Professor Noby, who was introduced in the first movie. And this is her father's cabin that she's going to. She's also an archaeologist. She's not just a daughter. She's actually a, she she works. You know, she's got her stuff going on too. And uh, she, I feel like they're not really introduced until about fifteen to twenty minutes into the movie, and then they don't really meet up with Ash until is it like thirty five, forty it's, minutes in or so? So this is my one complaint about the movie. Ah, here it, we go. Okay, and I don't. I, I it does not ruin it. I still love the movie. There is a little, the only time the movie, is, there's a little bit of a lull for me is when they show up and, you know, they think Ash is, like, you know, not a good guy, whatever else. It, it, it just becomes focused on these supporting characters for a little bit before the bad stuff starts happening to them. Mm-hmm. And it, it always feels a little strange to me because I'd argue the best scenes have happened already in the movie, like all the stuff with Ash by himself for me. Like, I always remember this movie as being like Ash against everything else, which I don't know. There's, it just feels like it switches gears a little bit in a way that always takes me some time to adjust to. And once, once the trees start coming out and you know, the possessions start taking place and everything else happen, I'm totally cool that I'm back on board, but there's always just this like five minute stretch where I'm like, man, why do I care about these people? And there's to me, there's nothing, there's nothing supremely objectionable about them. But compared to Ash, I'm just not as invested. And I, I don't know if y'all felt that way too. And because I, I too don't have a ton of my notes, I think the actors do a fine job and everything. But I'm just a little like, all right, we got rid of the supporting characters from the first movie, which I'm fine with. I, I'm kind of just want to stay on Bruce Campbell until all this shit starts hitting the fan again. That's just my personal take on on these uh, these yahoos. Mac, I know there's, I know there are deleted scenes, but are there any deleted scenes that kind of flush them out more? Yeah, it's are, are they made flesh as well? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. no, no, um, no. Because yeah, I I agree with you, Dan. I think it's it is a little strange, and for me, it's just more of a I don't really mind that they're there, but I don't care or like them. Like that, that's a good way of when it, yeah. Annie shows up with Ed, they're kind of they just kind of come off these privileged, and maybe it's just because she's wearing you know they're wearing the sweater the way that Eddie <laughs> is or better, but like. I just, I don't really like them. I, I, the whole bit, but just possibly the doorway to another world. And the, and, and I blame the editing because when they cut, she's like doing this, like, this, like, uh, like, it's like punch up with her face. Like she's this badass. And I, I, I just think it's funny, but yeah, you don't really love them. And then also because you love Ash, when they mistake him for the one that's doing it, you, yeah, don't, like like, you don't like them yeah. even more. And then we're focusing on them immediately. I think that's part of the problem. I think if we had shown them realize maybe, that something was wrong earlier on as they were getting to the cabin. Maybe they found like, I don't know, professor Nobis remains or something. I don't know. Like then you'd be like, Oh crap. Like that they're going to, this is not going to work out well for Well, us. I think the, the issue is, is that in the first movie, you've got five people, but they all have like these great terrifying moments because everybody except for Ash becomes a deadite. But with this movie, when the four people show up, only one of them becomes a deadite. The other people just die. <laughs> they're, they're not seen oh, yeah, that's again. a good point you know i mean i feel like that also makes them less they don't stand out as much because of that i feel i agree because like the evil ed is great and that's like an iconic look that that they really becomes kind of like what deadites look like going forward in an army darkness and stuff like that they really exaggerated a uh, version of the deadite it's not just someone with some makeup on you know 
Yeah, that that is interesting. And always that always reminds me of the some of the poster art where they have Annie like as a deadite, like doing the hand thing. Oh yeah, but she never becomes a deadite. So it's like I don't know. You if know like, what that scene's from? Hmm. The look on her face is when she's kind of lost it and is trying to kill Ash. Then they just added like her oh. hair get kind of rumped up, so it makes it look like she's a, a deadite. But yeah, uh, yeah. but that's true. I think a little bit of a missed opportunity. Like, why wouldn't you have more? Deadite folks in this one, and maybe they were trying to distinguish itself from the first. Yeah, movie. that's fair, and maybe they were. Yeah. I feel like at the end of the day, Annie was there to just to to deliver the the pages, the extra pages of the Necronomicon to get rid of them. I think that's the ultimate purpose of the character. Vanderbilt, what do you think about this character? Fine, but like you said, yeah, like Ash's show, yeah, and uh, she's kind of dull, but maybe yeah. that's the point of her character. Like I think, like Caffrey said, it's not so. It's like a performance issue at all. I just think it's just the character doesn't really pop like these other characters. Yeah. Do. Like you talk about Cheryl and Linda and, and Shelley. Like you remember yeah. those names. Like I, I could, I kept forgetting her name was Annie. You know. I, I mean? guess I kind of enjoy <laughs> like watching them team up at the end. I do like yeah. the look yeah. she gives Ash when she, you know, puts like the. I think it's a horse bridle that they put him on, put on him before he revs the chainsaw. Like she's very excited to see him do this. You know, I will say that I I, I get on board with her as soon as she's on board with Ash yeah. not having killed. You know, like because then you really are rooting for the two of them. You know, because Jake and Bobby Jar are just kind of superfluous. You know, yeah, they're not really doing much. But like, I I I agree with you there. I think her scream is brutal. Her scream is almost as uh, in, in in a like grating way. I think it's a good it's a good horror scream. I just think it, it rivals Shelley's scream <laughs> in the first movie because uh, it just hits this one note and it's just that over and over Distained again. And it's it, yeah. just it's it's unsettling. You're like stop screaming. Like oh gosh, like this is we got to calm this thing down. Yeah, it's an unexpected and cruel fate for her. Because I really feel like it, it oh, feels yeah. like she's going to just survive, and then to be that close to the end, and that goddamn hand comes back and stabs her in the back. What a great moment when she del- delivers that last line! Yeah, yes. she's, as, she's that, as, as, as that part of the score plays that you know very adventurous yeah, finishes yeah. the passage. Yeah. So ultimately, yeah, I, I take it back. I do like her at the end because she's the one that actually does save the day. I mean, it sucks for Ash because he gets thrown back in time, but she does save the day. You know, she does get rid of the evil. So did but you like, think that portal ever yeah. stopped? No. I think it does. <laughs> it's still there today in North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, don't go to the woods in, in uh, Wadesboro, North Carolina. Be careful. All right, well, let's talk about another character. We kind of talked about these characters already, to be fair, but this is uh, Dan Hicks who plays Jake. Now, I think we all have like, little issues with this movie, maybe a little, little dings. And this kind of falls in line with what I think you were saying, Dan, but I'm not a big fan of the Jake and Bobby Joe editions. Uh, uh, yeah. Kind of, uh, a bit broad, a bit, a bit even, and this is a movie with a, like a, a hand flicking off. It's former. <laughs> owner, but even then you know, it's, it's still basically a bit broad. Too, yeah. Basic. Yes. Inventive. That's a good, that's a good comp to make. There. Uh, yeah. I, the hillbilly stereotype. Yeah. It's just, but I, I like it. It wears thin a bit. I, I, I enjoy, I, I do enjoy Jake's death by Henrietta with just the absolute, Spray spraying of blood. Going yeah, out getting eaten getting, by the cellar witch is pretty great. I, he's got so many great delivery line deliveries too, Dan Hicks. Yeah, I, I I think I don't love the entry of those two characters, but I do think that yeah, he really goes all in with it. You know, like he he has a lot of fun with that character. I think I do like his line 
It's a little nod to Crazy Bucks Gone Blood Simple. You guys catch that? Oh, uh, I didn't simple? even notice. I yeah. Didn't uh, when they right when he's going to throw him down into the into the cellar, mm. and then also without Jake, you don't get the you know when she you know stabs him accidentally, and then he <laughs> keeps pushing, slamming that's, the door shut, which is actually a, a sequence. It's a sequence from within the woods that they got to use in this one. And in, in that version, it's Scotty that she accidentally stabs and then tries to push him out of the way of the door as she's closing it and all that. So I kind of it was really fun to see that in within the woods. Yeah. They flesh as it were. Dan Hicks has major connections to everybody involved in this movie for most of his career. He was he also shows up in Maniac Cop that Bruce Campbell's in. He's an intruder, which is written and directed by Scott Spiegel, who of course co-wrote this movie. He shows up in Dark Man. He's in Wishmaster with Ted Raimi. He's in Spider-Man 2, My Name is Bruce. He's even in Oz the Great and Powerful. And he unfortunately he passed away a couple years ago in oh, 2020. Any, any final words? Like I said, I feel like he is playing how it's supposed to be performed. I don't think he's doing something like avant-garde no, or, no, yeah. or method acting so. here or anything like that. I just feel like that was the direction he was given. And it just kind of sticks out more than it should. If, the, the only broad character in this movie should be Ash, in my opinion. Kind of, you know, it doesn't, he, that's why it doesn't quite work for me, I he guess. He did take out his teeth for the role. Like He had fake... Those are false. He has false teeth. Oh, I didn't know. I, I knew there was like a right tooth missing, right? He's yeah. like, oh, you want to see this? And he took it out, and a star was born. This was his film debut. Jake. This was his film debut. And I like that. That's cool that this was his film debut, and then he became part of Raimi's company. Yeah. He's, he stuck around. He stuck around. Also, I wouldn't have thought that that was his first. It seemed like he, was, he had been a character actor. Right. And, you know, a character actor. He's fairly young in this, too. It wasn't like he was... He looks a lot older than he is in the movie, trust me. Well, speaking of his partner, though, there's a little backstory here. Now, Cassie Wesley plays Bobby Joe. But in the Hollywood Reporter oral history, Scott Spiegel said the following. <laughs> this is another knock on Robert Tabbert, so get ready for this one. Sam had rented a house with Joel and Ethan Cohen. Fran McDorman and Holly Hunter were our roommates. Holly was just getting her career started. I'll never forget her in sweatpants on the floor in her room reading, sweat, reading scripts. We wrote the character of Bobby Joe for her. But Rob Tappert said, we need a babe for that role. And then in that same Hollywood reporter oral history, Robert Tappert said, without getting myself in trouble, laughs, I thought we should look for somebody else. Uh, he sounds like kind of a <laughs> Yeah, this is like two episodes in a row where it's like Rob Tappert, uh, not, not the A number one guy, apparently. But because when you watch Bobby Joe, I could absolutely see Holly Hunter playing that oh, role. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. She 100%. plays, uh, yeah, she plays a little bit of that Southern hillbilly to a T in other oh, movies. Especially because then I, I think this was in production around the same time of Raising Arizona. So, long right. story short, the best thing that ever happened to her was not doing the role of Bobby Joe in in this movie because obviously a year later she'd be in broadcast news, and a year before she was in Raising Arizona. Good call. But I'll tell you Good what, call. Rob Tappert's right. Like Cassie Wesley, Stone Cold Fox. Not of this movie. Come on, you close? No way. Uh, she's, well, she's three people. There's three contestants. If you want four, she's, you she, tie, she ties for the other one. <laughs> Well, we'll get to that. We'll Henrietta. get to the buy's choice. Henrietta. Later on that one, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and possessed Henrietta, for that matter. <laughs> you already mentioned this, but the uh, the Jake, you're holding my hand too tight. I love that little <laughs> that's a good bit. throwback. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But again, Matt, you mentioned earlier the, the forest enveloping her and going into her, like her her cheeks and stuff like that. That's good, but that's oh brutal death. You know, yeah. Uh, and just 
I don't know. Doesn't she seems like a lot of fun from the behind-the-scenes footage. Well, listen, speaking of fun, she's had a fun career. She was in Guiding Light for years. She was in One Life to Live for 20 years. Oh, and of course, Return of the Soaps. And of course, it was in Days of Our Lives. Return of the Days of Our Lives on this <laughs> podcast. Right. We finally made it back after the Scream detour of last year. She was also in We Are What We Are, this movie that came out by the terrific Ted... How do you pronounce his last name, Vanderbilt? Gilgan? Ted Gagan? Ted Gagan. Uh, a lot of people love that movie a lot. And he's, she's in that. And that's all I've got for Cassie Wesley. So I think we should move on to our, our next character here. And that next character, for me, would be the Stone Cold Fox of this particular film. And that is Denise Bixler. Oh, yeah. As Linda. My goodness. Fun fact. Yeah. Dan, did you know this? Married to Steve Gutenberg for a few years after this movie. Yes! Really? Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't, uh, I'm party down that they show him being like married. In, no, right. He's doing, having like an orgy or something. I'm yeah, he's really character. funny in party like, down. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's playing really obviously against type, you know. Hey, we, he's also in the Liberian Girl video, which we mentioned, I guess, last episode. Yeah. <laughs> but that show got its name from Evil Dead. The party down. Scott <laughs> says that Scotty's at the line. table. <laughs> I, I actually do think it's obviously a brief role here because it's yeah. very abbreviated, but I do think she's really good as the headless Linda screaming at him. I, I think she's good in that. Uh, oh, that's right. Cause that's actually her, yeah. not the, not the claymation model. Yeah. And, and once again, I, I think, I know it's not really meant to give anything beyond a summary. I actually do buy the chemistry between her and Ash for that very brief you know, moment we see yeah. with them. I don't know. They both lean into that playfulness pretty well. I think the brutality of her, Constantly telling him that she that her soul is in hell forever over yeah, and over again is just you know uh, that would fuck with my mind as, as well. It's another one that like is... on the behind the scenes footage just seems like she was having a great time, which is such a different story than the original film. Yeah, behind the scenes footage of that first movie compared to this one is it's light and day, night and day. And, and is and I was wondering about that why they didn't bring back the original Linda for the Linda role in this one if they were all buds, but maybe it was just a they didn't. I don't think they, they were as friendly with an acting or they weren't as friendly with her. She was like a hired gun. And she, I think yeah. by that point she was married and had a kid uh, and okay. just kind of like sort of out of the game, I guess. The Ellen Sandweiss of the, of that whole group was the most, was the closest to all of them, but it would make sense for her mm-hmm. to come back. Cause also, longer. also too. And I, this probably wasn't intentional, but I think because there's a different actress playing Linda in every movie, that mm. sort of makes the retconning a little bit more believable. Like Ash is the only consistent, you know, I, yeah. once again, I'm sure that's, that wasn't their intent, but that to me just makes the whole thing a little bit more digestible for me as far as well, ignoring past plot points. Something about the opening and Linda did, watching it this time. I thought this is a little like interesting when, <laughs> so when Linda turns into a dead eye, when he, she pops up in the woods is the first time he sees her. And she's oh, just kind of good. like, she's just kind of <laughs> cackling and coming at him. And then he like immediately chops her head off. What if she was just playing a joke? Like, how do you know she's actually like a demon? Like there, there hasn't been anything. He, he, she hasn't even hurt you yet. Like that's a quick turn to that's chop a, her head off. That's a good off. example <laughs> you know? of, of trying to shove a 90 minute horror movie into seven oh, minutes. God. It's like, everything's it. been accelerated. You know what but, I mean? I some people it. just take any excuse to kill their girlfriend. I, I guess. I, I, so. I think that's, I know she's, she really she was didn't like, he's like, yeah. he's like, she really didn't like me. My singing voice. <laughs> she thought my piano was a little off. She used to love me when I was younger. Oh, oh I will say that. Her the moment when she's screaming and her headless corpse comes in with the chainsaw oh. really makes it clear that this is absolutely 
going to be much more of a comedic thrill ride than it is going to be yes. just all out horror because you're just laughing. It's it's so funny and crazy at the same time. You and know? that just brief look of Bruce Campbell. Um, James, where did I? Yeah, there's a bunch of great asides in this whole movie by Campbell, by the way. There, especially when he decides to when it's dawn again, he looks at the card. He kind of quickly looks to his right, like I should get out of here. You know, just goofy stuff like that that works really well. I do love her line: "The your love was a lie, and now she burns in hell." Right before mm. he goes for the head, the black but also. Blood. Yeah. Um, well, I'll get to that later on when we talk about special effects. There's a little extra window. Mm. Well, I have to say that it's funny. Her literal, her only other credit of note, I'll talk about the Halloweenies Dominion, is a movie called Crisis in the Kremlin, starring Robert Russler, who played Grady in Freddy's Revenge, <laughs> and the head greaser in Sometimes They Come Back. So a little Losers Club Halloweenies uh, crossover. Is, uh, How about that? is Crisis spelled with a K? Why? why it's not. It's why not, isn't it spelled with a K? Yeah, it should be. Ugh. What a loser. I can't remember. Who, it was probably like, you know, I wonder who directed that thing. It was probably Rennie Harlan or something like that. I got to find out. We'll figure it out one day. Uh, but we also have to, a special note here. It was directed by Jonathan Winfrey. But not to be confused with Jonathan Winters from Mork and Mindy and The Tonight Show. Please don't get confused. The Dancing Demon Linda is by a dancer named Snowy Winters. She's, That's a, she's danced in a couple movies before. I thought dancer? that was all. That sounds like an adult. Yep, that's I a know, good. Right? That's a good down to porn right there. It's a good dancer name. She was in the film, in another Halloweenies Dominion here, Great Balls of Fire, starring Dennis Quaid, who was once married to PJ. PJ <laughs> PJ Souls, yeah. PJ Souls from Halloween. How about that? Right. That's right. That's right. Okay. And and whose son? Oh, screen yep. cream. Screen five, Jack Quaid. <laughs> Another connection. I love that. It's all connected. I guess when you do like sixty movies over three or four <laughs> years, it kind of all, there's still gonna be some weird and have children. Yeah, yeah, and a, and the kids over the last forty years. I guess it's gonna happen. Professor, oh wait, hold on for a moment here. We, can, you know, I'm talking to myself on a live podcast recording, but we'll save some of the dancing demon stuff for the special effects. I think now, Richard Domier plays Professor Ed Getley, Annie's boyfriend, I think, or something. I don't know who this guy's supposed to be. Yeah, they, they kiss. I they think do kiss upon her, but maybe there's a dating, friendly yeah. kiss. I don't know what's going on. Because she, she, she seems to love Ash pretty quickly, uh, about 10 minutes after he's dead, so I don't know what's going on. Well, he gone, you know? Like I will say, on. maybe my favorite moment in the movie that's really surreal because of how it's shot is when Ed becomes possessed and he's hovering in the middle of the frame, yeah. and the lower left of the frame is just Henrietta slamming open the cellar door over and over again. It looks like it's almost like shot in reverse or something. And then the right side, you've got Annie and Ed looking at him. That's a really creepy and, and you, shot there. I like that a lot. And you get one of my favorite lines in horror history is the, we are the things that were and shall be again. And then dead by dawn. Which the, and uh, then tagline for the film. <laughs> and as it's getting hacked up, I think you said earlier, Mac, it's the, we live, we live still. That's really, that it. That is a line that I don't feel like anybody quotes or talks about, but I love that line in this movie. Creepy. When it's the POV and just like the blood just like pouring over the camera, you hear that, we live, we live still. So weird. So good. Now, once again, not a whole lot to say about Professor Ed Gelly. Did anybody have any notes about the character of Ed? <laughs> well, I think, you know, he's probably been Professor Noby's like right-hand man <laughs> 
Wow. Can we, no, I don't have anything. Yeah, talk I, about this he's, for only, he's in like that two seconds of the, uh, <laughs> we do get that interesting flashback, which we don't really talk about the, where they're actually at the Kandarian ruins, the Kandarian castle. And they where is the, the Kandarian castle supposed to be? Somewhere in London, I'm assuming. In England, in, old, in ye old England. I don't, well, I, yeah, I guess that was like the Middle yeah, East. I, well, that would make I always sense got the sense that it would yeah. be like Sumeria. Well, maybe but it was like about, during the Crusade. I can't remember. Maybe Army of Darkness yeah, would get a little bit more of an explanation. Yeah, I was but, gonna uh, say, yeah. but, but he was on The Bold and the Beautiful, The Young and the yep. Restless, and Days of Our Lives. And he was the cameraman in Die Hard 2. Die Harder. He's also in, you mean Die Harder. Teen Wolf. Yes, he is. He's a linebacker. Okay, so he's on the, the basketball team in Teen Wolf. And okay. then he's on an episode of Dream On. But most importantly, and this drove me crazy as a kid, because once again, no internet. Really look this, and if there was internet, you couldn't really look up this information. We, used to, I guess, it's still on the QVC channel. You know, they they peddle oh, yeah. wares and stuff like that. I remember watching QVC, oh, <laughs> flipping through the channels, and this guy was a host. And I thought to myself, "Oh my god, that looks just like the the blonde guy from Evil Dead 2. <laughs> and a couple years later, once once internet search engines really started working, the first thing I did. Was no, but I, I found out it was he was Richard Domier, the actor, was the Q, a QVC host for years, starting in 1995. So I'm sure he made good money doing that for years and years. But that drove me crazy. I, I couldn't believe who it was. It was so wild to see him in this mainstream, you know, just lameo. No shots to quick to QVC, but just this bland kind of host trying to settle, trying to sell somebody's necklaces and stuff like that. Pretty wild, pretty wild. But. uh we talked about the Nobis earlier, Mac. You mentioned the Nobis in the flashback, specifically, and Professor Nobi kind of appears in this. He's played by John Peaks this go-round. I have a question about his spirit when it appears. Dan, what do you think that his spirit looks like when you see it kind of floating? Wait, when, when it's just the, the voice, you mean? Like in the, in yeah, the, in the opening? Yeah, but you see him break through talking to them. Are you going to see the library ghost from, from Ghostbusters? No, 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 no. Mac, wait, Mac, you're raising your hand. You yeah, I'm going to see it, Mac. I, I did, honestly, didn't like nothing specific to me, but I'm, I'm curious what Mac has to say I, about I, it. Kind of thinking of where you're going to talk about, Justin, but for me, uh, this is the part. That's the part of the movie that does not work for me. Is uh, really? I was asking what he looked like. I, I'm, I'm getting there. Oh, okay, I'm just okay. saying that th- that is the part of the movie that didn't work for me, is when hmm. Professor Nobi breaks into our existence to essentially spoon feed you what's going on and tell you how to get out of the situation. Like there's a lot of explaining in the movie going on, but that, that, that's funny. But to me, this looks like a graphic from a, a Oompa Loompa Willy Wonka sequence. <laughs> like it does not fit in this movie. Oh, well. like when they're in the tunnel, like the, like the when tunnel. They're the, yeah. The, when they're doing, yeah. but when they're doing like the songs and stuff and do you have like the, their heads popping out and <laughs> that's what it feels like to me. Yeah. But does it, are you going to say it looks like it looks like Pazuzu from the exorcist? Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're right. It does. Like when we see just the flash of Pazuzu, like yeah. the, with the yeah. sunken cheekbones and the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what true. I kept thinking of when I saw. It. Actually, I, I, I like that scene fine. I have no problem with that scene. It's kind of cool. It's, it's weird. It's weird, and obviously that's what was breaking through as it was as it was explained to us earlier on too. So I, I, I'm fine with that. I have no problem with that scene. Now, any, any other any other notes on Professor Nobi? Uh, he <laughs> was played by John Peaks. That is, he was played by John. Pe- I'm just I'm just looking up the uh, 
I'm just looking up the image. Yeah, it does look like Pazuzu here, right? Or or the mirror from Snow White a little bit. We're gonna have to do yes, the mirror from Snow White's a good one. We'll do a little. Maybe we'll do a poll or a, a, a Photoshop going on there. That'd be pretty funny, actually. Only three film credits, but Mac, you'll appreciate this. One was a movie called The Mighty Max, M A C S. Oh wow! I, I can't believe it. So I think we're that might be a new nickname <laughs> for you, Mighty Mac. About, about Mac. Yeah, and guess but but guess who starred in that movie? Sheriff Judy Hicks herself, Marley Shelton from Scream. Oh, Scream so it's four a newer movie. Oh, wow. not newer another movie. weird connection. It's three credits and somehow another connection there. Somebody who has a brief role as the human. We can we can run over this real quick. Henrietta Nobi, played by Lou Han- Hancock, who was an older character actor. She got she got her start later in life, but she was in Places in the Heart with Sally Field, one of the most underrated '80s movies ever. Miracle Mile with Anthony Edwards. Really good movie. Uh, appears in one of the better Amityville sequels, The Evil Escapes. Of course, Evil Escapes. She, is, she, she's Henrietta when you see her not, because Ted Raimi's yeah, her. the old the, woman. Yeah. Yeah, okay, gotcha, gotcha. And she's, yeah, Amityville, The Evil Escapes, which I've always said is the greatest movie of all time that features a demon escaping its possessed house by going through a plugged-in lamp, and you see it going through the plug into the lamp. The greatest movie of all time with that happening. She's also in The Grifters, <laughs> Fisher King, and of course... Highway to Heaven. Highway to Heaven makes a return to Halloweenies after two years. Welcome back. Happy 100th anniversary, Michael Landon. I do like her that scene where she's trying to fool Annie and is telling her when, she, when, when Annie was born and singing her the nursery rhyme. And That's a good little performance yeah. there by Miss Hancock, but we got to get to it. Because maybe the MVP of the movie for me. We haven't even really talked about them yet, but it's Ted Raimi, Sam Raimi's brother, <laughs> as yeah. the possessed Henrietta, who is going... A hundred and fifty percent in this. Oh, it's great! It. Just you can just and you can so still good. kind of tell it's him under all the prosthetics. Well, I didn't know at first like that it was him because for me, when I would think of Ted Raimi, I would think of Dark Man, right? Oh, and yeah, I always yeah. think of Ted Raimi with glasses on. So I honestly just thought it was that older woman in makeup. The first few times I'd seen <laughs> it, but Mac, did you want to talk a little bit about possessing Rihanna here? Well, yeah, I'm gonna get into more in the makeup section, but. Performance, Ted Raimi, let's just say Ted Raimi was really putting on a, a performance and really, you would never know the behind the scenes <laughs> stuff. That, that is, that is a great performance and how fun, you know, like you, 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 here's your, here's your chance now to be involved in the evil dead movie, you know, and, and really go for it. And it's your brother, you know? And, uh, yeah, I just, I love Henrietta, the, the, Someone's in my fruit cellar. Someone with a fresh soul, and like you mentioned, Justin, when when, <laughs> when Henrietta pops out and Ash screams, like it's it is just great. It's just like one of those like solid moments. Or I love how she's like dubbed the the cellar witch. Oh yeah. Well, well another cellar witch. Or when he says, you know, all right, let's go down to the cellar and carve ourselves a witch, and then they pan to her just like laughing evilly, <laughs> so which is like, kind of a callback to Cheryl. Like, yeah, yeah. And Evil Dead laughing in the light. But know. I like how they really did something completely different with this version of the Cellar Witch. You know what I mean? Like, it's not trying to be Cheryl. It really no, is its own no. character, and it, it feels like a solid Deadite and a new and a welcome addition to Evil Dead too. My favorite bit of acting, though, is I, th- I think it's during the climax when she gets knocked to the ground, but when, as she starts to rise again, she's just shaking violently like, ah! It's just it's Looney Tunes. <laughs> It's Looney Tunes. It's it's so it's so wild and it's well, still gross, but it's very funny in that moment. It, you know, I get to see Sam Raimi off to the side saying like like 
Okay, now let's the claymation. That the head's going to start create, you know, like, yeah. like lengthening, <laughs> like like. So you you've got to like get ready for that. <laughs> You're like, what are you going to do? Gyrate, gyrate. I know we're now we're basically just doing like the podcast where people are like, hey, you remember that scene when? But look, there's a bunch of scenes like that in this movie. Like, I think that when he's just stalking after Ash, he's like, come to Henrietta. You know, it's just come a fucking hammy Henrietta. performance. It's funny as hell. I don't know, uh, Vanna, but what do you think about uh, about Ted in this? I mean. I guess it's more. I mean, he's he's terrific, but one of the most memorable deadites, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. In the oh, whole series, yeah. sure. Personality wise, especially, right? Yeah, I mean, it's one of the few that has like. Well, because you never really meet Henrietta as yeah. a human, and then like then I started thinking like, what if this was a direct sequel like, with all those characters, and you still had Scotty and Shelley and Henrietta, like, all in that cabin together. I don't know. I, oh, God. Raimi's great, and Ted Raimi, again, again, the behind-the-scenes footage, like, he's just having the time of his life. Oh, yeah. I, and I, I, I also wonder if Sam Raimi would be considered problematic by today's standards, because he seems to abuse his friends pretty bad on these movies. <laughs> I think it's because it's usually his male friends that he gets away with it, <laughs> to be honest with you. Because I think even Bruce Campbell, like, lost a tooth in this or something like that. Uh, yeah, he's got veneers, yeah. I think, from this one. Yeah. This, this this is not an Uma Thurman Quentin Tarantino Kill Bill situation. I'll put it that way. But Dan, you've you said over the years in private. Maybe I shouldn't be saying this in public, but that you you think Ted Raimi's awful on this. No, <laughs> you said he's the worst part of the. No, I actually was thinking because I I do think when people think of Evil Dead, they think more of the of the first movie, the Salty mm. Cellar Witch. But I actually think I like this one a little bit better just because it, the the fun radiates through it. I mean, once again, it, they're. In a weird way, they're both emblematic of their respective movies because the first one is so disturbing and just like, ugh. More and this personal, one is, you know, yeah, very personal. Yeah, but given the relationship she has to, you know, to Ash, but in this one, it's it's freaky. But, but yeah, I think, and, and once again, I think because I, for me, I could tell it was Ted Raby. You just, yeah, you just see the joy coming through the performance. Yeah, it's really funny. And then wait, I'll, the rest I'll save for the effects because, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot to talk about there, obviously. There, there certainly is, but uh, as far as I'm concerned, life is hard and dangerous, and sometimes you just gotta chop off somebody's head to survive. We are eating a giant shit sandwich right now. Are you good down here for a minute while I try and unfuck the situation? I got it. Go. All right, so this is best kill. Now these, it's funny because for these movies, it's very complicated because you know these other movies, you got the slasher who kills somebody, but in this, it could be somebody becoming a deadite or a deadite killing somebody else. It gets very complicated. So let's see. We could have some different answers here as to why we all have different answers. Let's start off with my brother, Mac. What do you think is the best uh, kill in this particular entry? I'll swallow your soul. It's got to be Henrietta. That when, when he chops off her head and it's that elephant trunk just spewing that spit that spray of blood is disgusting and he stomps on the head and, you know, swallow this. It's just, that is, that is Ash. That's where it's like, yes. Like you've claimed your, your, your throne. <laughs> mm. I'll just say right now, I think that's, that's gotta be it too. And then, and then the, and then not only the, I swallow your soul, but then the head exploding, like there's fireworks inside of it as well. You know, it's just <laughs> yeah. and a little, so over oh. the top. Yeah. And the slow motion of it all is just that's that's got to be the winner for me too. Vanderbilt, what about for you? I'm gonna go with the Linda bit because it just keeps going on. Yes, oh, that's yeah, that's fun. Yeah. yeah, 
that's the thing. It's like it's hard to identify because these other movies, people die, they're dead. But these movies, they're dead, but they're not dead. They're evil dead. It, it cuts her head <laughs> it's off. It's complicated. But that death keeps going on and on and on. And just that bit, like it's when the animatronic comes in with the chainsaw and then it oh, flips so over. So fun. Like yeah, nothing I'd ever seen before. Yep. I'm actually going to go with Jake's death, where he's dra- getting dragged into the cellar, and Ooh, the yeah. gu- because I don't know, I'm I always get really disturbed by people getting drug into something, whether it's like a, zo- a massive zombies or whatever, and you just no, there's like no way they're going to escape at all, you yeah. know. And then in this movie, also you're wondering where are they going to show? Are we going to actually see him getting dismembered or bitten or whatever? And I love that's just this gush of blood, and the blood looks great in this movie. It's really frothy. It's really it just, looks like big red soda when it comes yeah, out yeah, of there. Nothing exactly. sticks. It kind of just stains right into the wood, I, you know. At the end, it, yeah, it, it's just a it's a really inventive way to do the typical like bit. You know, it almost doesn't look realistic, which I like about it. And, and once again, Jake is not a character I especially care about or anything. So it's not the character. It's not the weight of what's happening story wise, but it's just wondering how it's all going to play out. And that's just this gout of blood. And I'm like, all right, I'm there for it. But I mean. You can't go wrong. I mean, take your pick in this movie, right? More, more so. It's than, true because I mean, other, I, I know we've had some issues with some of the characters, but not the way that the characters go out. <laughs> you yeah, know, you know, yeah. Oh, every death seems anything, like a, worth a winner the, in this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for the ways they go out. So, I mean, there's a lot of great ones in this movie, and there's a lot of great ones in that first one. It's just a really well. Doesn't really. This is one of those movies that I feel like really peaks at a certain point. It kind of just there's great stuff that happens throughout, all the way to the very end, which is a nice thing to be able to say about a movie that's. 35 years old and we've been it's been analyzed to death at this point so but now we've got to move into a, a section that we've kind of been teasing and discussing but we're going to get into a little bit more of uh, details about and it's a section that we've affectionately called great graphics ah! what do you know to beat my score <laughs> We're going to talk a little bit about the special effects in this movie. And if you thought there were special effects in the first one, I mean, have you seen Evil Dead 2? Because there are... I hope you have more. if you're listening to this episode. Oh, boy. It'll be funny. People, I wonder if people listen to this episode having never seen it. I guarantee there's some people that might just like to listen to us talk about stuff. Possibly. Who knows? But, Mac, why don't you kick off this discussion about the, the, the great graphics of Evil Dead 2? Yeah, so it was originally offered uh, to Tom Sullivan, who had done and worked on the first film... And it was about a four-month contract, I believe. And he just felt like it was beyond his abilities. And he still wanted to work on the project. And he ended up taking on some of the stop-motion portions and mm. some prop work. But ultimately, they got Mark Showstrom, who had just finished up Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Mm. And also had done From Beyond and oh, Witchboard. And, and, and Witchboard, apparently. He worked on Witchboard. Never seen Witchboard. Is, is Witchboard the one with... My, Mickey Dolan's daughter. Connie Katane is in Witchboard. I just watched it last last year. It's it's fun, but it's 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 interesting. <laughs> but um, you know, uh but because they had worked on the Street 2, we didn't mention this, the Freddy Glove makes an appearance in this film. You're it's right. In the workshed, and as you can see it on the wall, and it's also in the basement. Yes. If you take a look, it's also featured in the basement. And not to cut you off, Mac, but Amy, um, I'm thinking about Witchboard 2 stars Amy oh. Dolan's, Mickey Dolan's daughter. So there you go. That's what I was thinking of. So something that's kind of funny is I always thought that the changing of the way the Deadites look in the first film was because of budgetary reasons, and I'm sure it was. 
because it was just a student film. That in this one, Sam's idea was that the Evil Dead could do whatever they wanted to do. Mm. So that's kind of why they were like, or it doesn't have to always look the same, and they can really do whatever they want. But that's why you get kind of retroactively explains a lot of stuff in the first one, the different looks of the deadites, but also give them free reign to do whatever they wanted to do. Like that's why, you know, the uh, Linda is, is just kind of cupid doll Linda again, but then you have like evil Ed who's just like contorted and totally just like his face mm. has been sucked in. He looks like Vigo from, you know, <laughs> you know that sequence when Vigo from Ghostbusters two gets thrown back into the, painting and they do that that twisting of this where his nose is and it kind of becomes like that's what evil ed looks like to me robert kurtzman howard berger i'm just gonna rattle off names here because these guys all worked on it um mike tricks shannon shea aaron sims and you'll notice and the, and the assistants greg nicotero well mac you said kurtzman nicotero and berger that's k and k and b that's the mm-hmm, famous mm-hmm. makeup team in the future uh, Sullivan continued though to he's responsible for all the the opening sequence, uh, which is very stop motion heavy with uh, like the creatures in the book. Great, That's cool. great opening. Love sequence. that. That's a great opening. Also responsible for the new design of the book and dagger. I think Sam Raimi had the original dagger or something like that, but they were like, "Well, we just want to do our own thing." And I think Raimi wanted the book to be bigger in this one. Mm. That's why it's exaggerated. And I kind of love how when they came out on DVD, the Evil Dead 2 book was more exaggerated and cartoonish and that you, know, you could still get that version of it and it was bigger. There was a, It's kind of sad because there was a lot of special effects that, that they were playing with that didn't make it into the film. But the ones that did, are, are I think, are fantastic, like we were saying earlier. They were really trying to go for an R, R-rated movie. They didn't want it to be rated X. So that all the blood, they were like, well, we've got to use green blood. We've got to use black blood. Mm-hmm. We've got to use... We, so it's not just red. There's some Apparently, blue blood at the end, too, with the, the personified evil dead. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, blue blood's on there CBS. Be, yeah, <laughs> and I thought Steve, you were going to go... I thought Steve it was a dumb blue bloods <laughs> joke from, uh, you know, where's Tom Selleck? But ultimately... They used a lot of that stuff. I, I guess milk blood is just is a no is a no no for the MPAA. That, that's You're right. if Apparently it's milky so, blood, yeah. you can't. You know that's an X rated film right there. But like Justin said earlier on, there's a more of a sequence with Evil Ed where partial of, part of his scalp gets chopped off, lobbed off, and is crawling around on the floor. And Ash continues to fight his torso for a bit. There's your torso cam. Yeah, the. Oh, let's see. The Batri, which was given the name of the Deadite Made Flesh, that took three people to navigate, much like, mm. you know, Jabba. I think there was... All right, I want to I ask you, how much blood do you think they had on set for that oh scene when Bruce Campbell, when it pours down Bruce Campbell, in that sequence? How many gallons? How many, like how 50, many gallons? Like 100 gallons. <laughs> 100 say, gallons. I'm going to say... 218. 218. I'm going to say $1. $1. Vanderbilt wins. Damn it. It was actually eight 55-gallon oil drums of water and wallpaper paste so that it would stick to Bruce. Now, he (laughs) apparently he was like... torture. Apparently, he was like coughing up and sneezing like black and red for like a week. (laughs) Is that what yours looked like earlier, (laughs) Justin? That's right. Oh, my God. That's how I feel right now. And then, oh, and then to the Henrietta stuff. Mm. So Ted Raimi 
he was put, apparently he was put into the makeup 11 times, took five hours every time to do that. And, he, and think about how much he's in the movie. It's, it's not that much, you know what I mean? But apparently he drank large amounts of Justin's favorite Gatorade uh. to keep him from overheating. Because apparently, I guess on set, it was like 100 degrees. And in the suit, it was like 110 degrees. Which growing up in Orlando at Disney, you hear all these horror stories about the people that had to wear like the Mickey costumes and stuff at the parks. Yeah. And how just incredibly hot the original (laughs) folks were in those suits. Reminds me Um, a lot of Fred Gwynn, I guess, would lose pounds a day in his Herman Munster costume. Oh, I can only imagine the jet black and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. And and to Justin's, uh, I know you loved when the head exploded. So they filled the head of Henrietta with bananas stewed tomatoes <laughs> rotten peaches black methicil and bright green ultra slime as i i'm quoting um did pulled polls from multiple sources but book of the dead.ws just got a plethora of great information on there if you, if you haven't checked it out check it out already i'm sure that head smelled terrific oh that thing together. you know it did that's generally all I have for the special effects. I think the special effects in the film, I wanted to ask everybody, how did the, the dancing Linda sequence, I know you wanted to mention that earlier, Justin, the, 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 the stop motion sequence in the beginning. Is that come too early before we realize like this is going to be a silly, fun movie? Or is that the moment where you're like, okay, this is just going to be comedic? Or does it walk that line? where? Because I think it's still kind of creepy and not just funny. I think it's creepy, but it's like because of that accompanying music. That's not just the piano, but it's that that Laduca music. It's it's a little more lighthearted than it yeah. would be if it was in the original movie. Once again, it's kind of, it's it's starting to set the template for what's what's to come. Not just throughout the rest of the movie, but really throughout the rest of the franchise in a lot of ways. You know, right? Yeah, I think it walks that line too because it's just it's so early and it's just such a hell of a way to start the movie. You know, whether or not you know the context of it or whether you've seen the first one or not, you're just like, oh wow, okay. I thought this these were going to be the main characters. One of them is possessed and decapitated by her <laughs> boyfriend. Like for Seven me, minutes, yeah, right? it's just a yeah, it's sort of like a yeah, just kind of strapping you in for the the ride in a way. Uh, I'm trying to think if I like it. I think because of everything that comes afterwards and how they really. I don't think the movie's necessarily concerned with making everything look as realistic as possible because stop motion never does. But I think it's very well aware of like, it's like when they use auto tune, right? Like auto tune has gotten to the point where it's not just to correct your pitch anymore. Some people use it as an aesthetic choice, whether you like yeah. it or not is one thing, you know, that's another matter altogether with this. I feel like they're not trying to use it to mask or blend something. They're going, okay, no, it looks like this when it's claymation. And then we're going to cut to this scene where she comes after him with the chainsaw and it's clearly like someone in a suit or whatever, a prosthetic. And I think because that comes later, it just makes me appreciate the the claymation even more. Like that they're like, okay, we're going to lean to this herky-jerky thing for this scene, then make it look more realistic here because of the tone. Yeah, for me, it, it works really well still. You know, just the hand stuff's a feat too. Like I think they they had actual... The way they did the floorboards and the, with the hand in between running along, it's actually a hand. You know, it's not just like something being dragged along the floor. Mm. And then another thing was that there are some shots of Henrietta turning into a deadite. When, Looks in great. the original, yeah, in the original, it was supposed to be that, but they didn't use that obviously for the film. Uh, you see her turning into like the long necked deadite at the end. 
No, I mean like when Nobi is talking in the flashback oh, sequence when he says, "I fear that she's turned into a dead eye." There's pictures of her with like white eyes, and I wonder if there was some dialogue there too that got. Cut. I like how they didn't but show what happened. I do to her, too. Though. I do I too because it's better. fun when you see her just completely emerge as Ted Raimi. Yeah, just emerge, <laughs> visibly yeah. shaking violently. Ted Raimi. So. <laughs> and then there's that yeah that that prop that they built the of the Scott dummy or whatever that never made it into the film, but. I mean, you can tell they had a lot more money and really knew what they wanted to do with this one in terms of the effects. And it just, it all kind of weirdly comes together. But yeah, even all the stop motions, I think the, when the trees are coming down on the house and all that stuff, yeah, all that miniature work and all the stuff that they did, I think really shines. And this movie's not great unless you have this great special effects team working on it. Yeah, I agree. I think that the effects have aged great. And I think so much of that stuff... Even the stop motion stuff, again, it's tangible stuff. Yeah. Like if I could say stuff one more time, I'll say it. <laughs> well, but, even, uh, that's even, what I like uh, about it. The tangibility. Even them going over the bridge in the beginning, I think it's not stop. It's, I, th- I think it's like a miniature model with a map painting in the back of it. It is. And that's, and, um, and that's not even, they didn't have to do it that way. They could have easily filmed them going across the bridge, but I like that they didn't. I like that it signifies that we're going into this other world into this cabin that is going to be this portal into a place that doesn't look quite like ours. It adds to the surrealism, you know? Yeah, exactly. There's a quote about that shot in that Cinefantastique that I've talked about that covers, uh, uh came around the time of, uh, army of darkness. And let me see what it says. Well, while you, you look could, that up, I, you could, al- here we go. You could almost hear the audience groan when the backdrop painting with the car going over the bridge appeared. Uh, Ramey did a head on shot of the miniature setup, which stressed, it's fakeness. According to Jones, I'm not sure who Jones is in this article, but uh, Ramey wanted an intentionally cheesy look. That's what I figured. I mean, this was all intent. I don't, I don't think it was anything misguided or something they tried to aspire to and they failed at. I feel like it was supposed to kind of look surreal and bizarre, you know. But anyway, Mac... Good information there about all that stuff because there's a lot, obviously a lot more went into this one, even the first one in a lot of ways, and a, a much greater, bigger team. And notable involved as this is kind of the start of K and B. Like this is yeah, that's what I'm saying. This Kurtzman is it, and yeah. Nicotero and, and, and Berger, so for sure, fascinating stuff. Everybody had a pretty good career after this, and I'm sure we'll be talking about them a little bit more in, in future entries. <laughs> pretty good career. What do you think? Pretty good. Not yeah, a bad pretty job good. by those guys. Bad, yeah. Good job, boys. They made some money over the last 40 years. God bless them. Well, we've reached the end of our road, and we've come across a bridge that has been torn up by the evil dead. And so that means it's time for us to hop in the Delta, head off, and give our final what the hell was that? Are you trying to kill us? Hey, don't blame me. It's your steering wheel. Damn thing jerked right out of my hand. I can't understand that. I had this thing in for a tune-up yesterday, and they said they'd go over everything. Yeah, well, you better take it back, because the damn thing don't work. The only thing that does work is this lousy horn. Okay, Mac, I will let you lead off. And this is, of course, uh, out of a rating of five chainsaws. Please. I'm going to go ahead and give Eva a two. For me, it's a it's four chainsaws, and maybe maybe a hand flicking off the first Evil Dead and saying we're gonna do something zany with this one. I it can't, it took me a long time to come around, but after watching you know Army of Darkness and watching the show, you really start to appreciate the 
um, restraint here in this one. And I, I think like you guys were saying, like Ash is the coolest in this one. It's not just full ham. It, there are some genuinely creepy moments, uh, which I still very much appreciate being there. And I think that the humor does a good job in this movie of disarming you so that when you're not expecting it to still scare you, and then you still have some of those scary moments come in. I love the ending. Love the setup for the next film. The <laughs> well, we didn't mention the Sam Raimi's cameo at the at the end <laughs> with the uh, as the as the knight. Oh yeah, that's ultimately it's it's just so fun. And 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 like you were saying with the bridge scene, like he everything is intentional in this. You know, they had the money to do a lot of things, and I think that they specifically made it look and feel a certain way, and it it feels like that. And it's it's fun that they didn't just completely try to remake the original. That you know, maybe this is what he had intended, but they still tried to make a genuine sequel with new characters and a generally new story. And I, it just really works in pushing this forward. It's kind of like the Empire Strikes Back, you know, like you really don't know where this is going, and you've got to see the next one, and I. It's you can't skip it and just jump to army like it, it mm. is a true blue trilogy in that sense, even though each movie kind of retells the prior movie a little bit and changes things. But I can't think of any other franchise that really does that as much as they do in this one. But for me, it's four chainsaws. Yeah. All right. Great, Mac. Thanks a lot. Uh, Dan, how about you? I'm going to give Evil Dead 2 a despite my little misgiving with it about the supporting characters not being as compelling as ash given the fact that it's 84 minutes i think is the runtime yeah they're not the focus isn't on them long enough to kill the movie by any means for me and also the payoff is great because my favorite death scene is with one of them and i really do like what eventually gets done to them because of all the gruesomeness that entails and then we get the birth of ash i think tonally this movie even as far as horror comedies go, it just has something completely different going on. It felt like a true game changer. I love that it is the second start to the filmmaker's careers and went on to give Bruce. I don't think Bruce Campbell would be who he is if it weren't for this movie. If it were just mm-hmm. Evil Dead 1, I don't think Bruce Campbell would have the career he does. I just love the gopher broke attitude of everything in this. Watching that scene where he's fighting his own hand and cutting it off, nothing else in film really feels like that to me. And for all those reasons, I have to go give it a full five chainsaws. Yeah, I think I like this better than Evil Dead One. I, I know oh. it's Evil Dead One is maybe the more consistent, solid movie, but this movie just feels different and more interesting to me. And we'll see how I feel about Army of Darkness. It's been a minute since I've seen that one too. Yeah, it's a perfect five for me. I love it. Really? And and the deer head, like Max said, that's the. <laughs> and when people say Evil Dead Two, that's I think of that deer with the milky eyes turning and cackling and it's both funny and scary and all that. So yeah, I love it. That's a great definition of the evil dead movies, you know, funny and scary. Yeah. Uh, Vanderbilt, how about you? <laughs> exactly. You know, rarely does a filmmaker get a second go around on a project like Michael Mann and Frank Capra both remade their own movies. And Lucas, George Lucas has been infamously tinkering with star Wars for decades that it's a wonder he hasn't just gone back and reshot it at this point. Uh, with evil dead Two, dead by dawn, Uh, Sam Raimi and his team get to make good on the promise of their earlier work, taking that grueling terror of Evil Dead and injecting it with even more Three Stooges-inspired humor. Raimi made a rare horror comedy that really works and showcased his tonal and visual style that is ever-present, even in his big-budget Hollywood pictures he gets attached to these days. 
I'm a grindhouse horror kind of guy, so the original Evil Dead will always remain my favorite. But Evil Dead 2 is a slicker affair that finds Raimi learning from past mistakes on his debut as well as Crime Wave and making something that feels more personal and is probably, is, is, I think it's inarguable, a better made movie, bigger and wilder than the original film. It's an accomplished film. This solidifies Raimi as an auteur. It's a team effort, but it all comes from the mind of the main. And despite the streamlining the shooting process, the cast and crew appear to have had a much better time on Evil Dead 2. The film... Uh, and the film took less than two years to complete. Evil Dead 2 also, at that same time, retains that scrappy, plucky Midwest charm and announced Sam Raimi as a force to be reckoned with. Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn, is an American original. When I saw this in 92, I felt like I was in on a secret uh, and was excited any time I saw those references, like we talked about on Martin or Animaniacs. And I loved that finding so many people uh, loved this, what I perceived as this little scene cult picture and its last its influence lasts to this day uh in my opinion there are truly there was truly nothing like it before and despite countless funny horror pictures trying to capture just a little bit of the film's vibe nobody has ever done it better and i don't think anyone ever will five chainsaws easy Ooh, five chainsaws awesome for me if the evil dead is the haunted house evil dead 2 dead by dawn is the roller coaster and you get two different thrilling experiences. This is a perfect example of a movie that could have gone totally wrong. You've got a, a filmmaker revisiting a property years later, and you've given that filmmaker money. And money can often lead to the death of imagination because money can lead to shortcuts. We've seen this in recent years. I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but I'm sure if we really thought about it, a lot of people <laughs> get kind of sullied because they depend too much on those shortcuts. They depend too much on the money. There's no pressure to be imaginative. And despite the fact that there's a much bigger budget in this movie, there is no imagination lost. If anything, Sam Raimi's imagination is now fully realized. Now, while I still think The Evil Dead is slightly better than Evil Dead 2, I would say at the end of the day, Evil Dead 2 is a top 50 horror movie of all time, at least of the ones I've seen. This is an ongoing list, everybody. I got a lot more movies to see in my life. I'm not saying it's the end of the day, but right now, I can't name 50 horror movies I love more than Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn. And damn it, it is Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn. And on that note, I will give this movie four and a, four, four and a half chainsaws. And I guess that half would be uh, the hand giving a middle finger to Embassy Pictures for fucking over Sam Raimi and company on Crime <laughs> Wave. What a way to wrap that up full circle, huh? How about that? What's that total then? What's Gerbalytics? What's uh, among all of our scores? Oh, uh, that would be a 23, 29, 37, 9.25. It would be a 4.65 wow. uh, chainsaws out of five. It's pretty <laughs> impressive. Very good. Those are, what a weird looking chainsaw that would be, though. 4.65 chainsaws. You could go off of the teeth, maybe. Like you only have a certain. Yeah, that's know. true. That's true. Yeah. That's true. All right, well, let's give our plugs off here. Uh, Vanderbilt, would you like to kick off? Uh, find me on Twitter, at Mike Vanderbilt. Find me on Instagram, at M.A. Vanderbilt. And please listen to my brand new podcast, Cheap Tricks. We're doing, or going through the history of Cheap Tricks, song by song. Sweet, sweet, sweet. Dan, I know you've got a, a little bundle of uh, <laughs> joy on the way. Other than hey, that, let's hope so. On? Let's hope it's joy, not, uh, yeah. you know what I'm saying? No, oh, <laughs> Yeah, and I'm you know well, hey, who knows maybe you give it you give birth to to a little uh it'd be little Damien. possessed baby it'd be who Damien knows, you know? Damien, yeah Damien Pazuzu any of it Damien Caffrey 
Yeah. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at DW Caffrey, uh, Dan Caffrey writes.com. Uh, and over at the losers club, of course, no individual things to promote right now. So, uh, yeah, come check me out and say hi. Sweet, sweet. And my brother. Yeah. Find me on Instagram, Wolfman Mac or, or underscore Mac underscore Gerber and at McKenzie James 25 on Twitter. Slowly growing there, <laughs> taking me a decade. Yeah, nothing really huge to, to plug here, except um, definitely check out the Losers Club. They've got a lot of cool stuff going on over there. And keep an eye out for uh, what we mentioned before, but uh, Dan and I will be doing that Third Eye Blind podcast, and that's coming your way some point soon. What's it going to be called? Uh, um, Third Eye Pod? Uh, is this my charms? Semi, 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 I, I almost would say ch- semi charmed <laughs> lives or some shit, but that's like too obvious. You gotta name it like a deep cut so that only it's is this true? Is this yeah, um, I mean, that's a really extraordinary <laughs> deep cut that nobody <laughs> in the world gets. Do you want to? Oh, I, I know, Steven I know, Jenkins, this is true. I know, I know I'm saying the, of the thousands of people listening right now, I can't even imagine one of them that would get that joke. And if you do, you should, join, sure. you should join the podcast that Dan and Mac are starting if you get that. Mace gonna know, I, I but I got what's called, yeah. Pot of wine. Oh, of course. <laughs> wow. Of course. Uh, For God's sakes, you can also find our additional episodes, patreon.com backslash Halloweenies pod. We've got movie coverage over there of movies that we don't cover on our main feed because they're not franchise horror or they're part of a franchise that we likely wouldn't cover for a full year. In addition to that, we also have dozens of commentaries on your favorite franchise and non-franchise movies. Please check us out over there and also check out the Losers Club that uh, three of us are also on, as well as their Patreon. Our Patreon, I should also say. That's patreon.com backslash the Barons uh, with a month. So, of course, next month in our main feed, we'll be back finishing off the, the Ash Williams trilogy of films with Army of Darkness. Later this month, we do have a fun episode on our main feed about movies that. Uh, flip the script, as it were, horror movies that kind of changed the trajectory of the series, or at least really changed from the, its previous entry. And I think Evil Dead 2 is definitely one of those. But until then, we will be waiting around, hoping that in a couple of weeks, you will want to join, join us. us. Join, join us. us. Join us. This is the end of our show, for now. We hope you enjoyed this production. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more. <laughs>